millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we're into extra time. No, my fuckerong or my key extra time. Coravinda hunia tene. This week we discuss Super Rugby quarterfinals predictions, the upsets and intrigue following the conclusion of the FIFA World Cup, the steps Joseph Parker needs to take to reclaim heavyweight boxing glory, and former Kiwis captain Mark Graham's induction into the NRL Hall of Fame. The Hurricanes and Chiefs will meet for the third time this season as they kick off the Super Rugby playoffs with a grudge match in Wellington tonight. It's one win each so far, but more importantly, the Chiefs beat the Hurricanes last weekend without a number of their stars and playing much of their second half with only 14 players. In fact, the red card and subsequent suspension of back Jonathan Fa'auli left a bitterness between the two sides, making predictions on that match all the more intriguing. Here to dissect the match as well as the other quarterfinals is Matt Chatterton. Oh, boy, Johnny Fa'auli. Chief centre Johnny Fa'uli's hit on Wes Hoyson left the Hurricane with a concussion and the rest of his team a sour taste in their mouth, and not just from the loss. Back at home in Wellington for the quarter-final, the Hurricanes are determined to redeem themselves as well as send their five departing players and coach Chris Boyd off in style. One of those departing, Julian Savia, admits tonight's match holds a lot of sentiment. It has been a big, big part of my life, this club, and very special to my heart and given everything to them and uh, they've given uh, so much back to me. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked and honoured to, to represent this club and this is probably the, the one jersey that I'll miss the most. The Hurricanes have only won one of their last five matches and have been accused of losing their touch. Coach Chris Boyd refutes that and Chiefs assistant coach Tumbai Matson agrees. Matson believes the Hurricanes are keeping their cards close to the chest for the finals, but he says the Chiefs are doing the same. I think the battlefield will come down to a couple of things, and we're really happy that we um, we got those right last Friday. So we'll be we'll be looking to um, start with that level of intensity. Wellington is is different; it's a different ground, but we're pretty confident with our prep. We know that they're going to bring some stuff we don't see or haven't seen, but we'll also be bringing some stuff to the party that they haven't seen. With the Chiefs welcoming back four All Blacks for the match, tonight promises to be the game of the weekend, with both teams capable of tearing each other's defence apart. And speaking of defence... The Crusaders have the luxury of a home quarter-final against the well-travelled Sharks side. The two teams haven't played each other in over two years. The defending champions are short odds favourites to not only win on Saturday, but the competition as a whole. However, captain Sam Whitelock knows all too well the perils of getting ahead of yourself. We know that it's, it's still a die, so uh, we're just focusing on this week. And uh, if we were looking anywhere else, I think we'd get into trouble. So the boys are doing some really good work um, and have done a lot this week so far. 
to allow us to go out there and play well. Following the Crusaders match, the Highlanders take on the New South Wales Waratahs in Sydney. The Highlanders are used to travelling in the playoffs now. They've done it for the past five seasons, including their championship win in 2015. During those playoffs, the Highlanders beat the Waratahs 35-17 in Sydney, so the Southerners are confident they can repeat history. Halfback Aaron Smith says he prefers finals rugby as it provides that extra element of do or die. You actually play a bit better when you know that there could be no Monday next week or there could be no game and um, you go out there a bit freer and you know that the little moments that, that covering a kick or stopping an offload or diving on a ball could be the big key moment in a game or stopping momentum. I think the pressure of playing away from home is always quite good. We try to embrace that. Should the Highlanders win, they'll face either the Lions or the Jaguars. Those two sides are playing in the fourth quarter final on Sunday morning in Johannesburg. The World Cup is over with France crowned champions beating Croatia in the final of the tournament that produced plenty of upsets. Squeaky bum time host Max Tau has his thoughts on the tournament, which he says was a good one, but not a great one. There have been people, fans, pundits, even FIFA boss Gianni Infantino, who have called it the greatest World Cup of all time, but I really don't think you can go that far. It was certainly an exciting World Cup and there were certainly a lot of upsets and surprises and drama. Controversy, of course, with video technology coming into effect for the first time and the endless debates we could have about that, not only worth mentioning now um, because we'd be here all day, but was it the greatest World Cup of all time? I don't think so. I don't think, for one, a really great team emerged from this tournament France were, of course, the winner, but I don't think they're a really great team. Coming into the tournament, there was this sort of narrative about there being six favourites, six teams that could win it. And really, that just spoke to how even the tournament was, and and it showed in the fact that, you know, one of England, Sweden, Croatia and Russia were able to make the final from the quarterfinal stage quite unbelievable, really. So I don't think it was the greatest tournament of all time, but certainly very gripping and entertaining. And really, France, a deserving winner? Yeah, sure, why not? (laughs) They were certainly the best organised team, the best disciplined team. And really, you look at it, they made the fewest mistakes. The strength from this World Cup came from countries in Europe and to a lesser extent South America. Is there some disappointment perhaps that uh, African and Asian teams didn't kick on and you know really weren't a threat? Absolutely. You look at World Cups gone by in the last 20 years. You've had Turkey make a World Cup semi-final. You've had South Korea make a World Cup semi-final. Of course, Argentina made the World Cup final in the last World Cup. And it was, I suppose, disappointing to a degree that this World Cup essentially turned into another European Championship towards the end. But I don't think it was particularly surprising. You know, we look at where the the power lies in world football at the moment, and it is absolutely in, in Europe, and I suppose Western Europe, to be more specific, to the point where the most heavily favoured team from outside of Europe, Brazil, their coach, Chite, before the tournament had spent a long sort of sabbatical of sorts in Europe studying European football and had tried to get his Brazilian team to play a European style of football so I think that just goes to show that really it's tough to look beyond 
beyond Europe for for four years' time, and it, it is disappointing. And I remember a few a decade or so ago, maybe a little bit longer, pundits were saying, "Oh, you know, Africa are coming along. An African team could win the World Cup in the next ten or twenty years." I can't see that happening because as African football improves, European football improves immeasurably in comparison, and that's where the best players apply their trade. That's where the best football is played on the domestic level. That's where the money is. So I guess it is a bit bleak for those Asian, African and even South American teams looking forward. And talking of money, a quick word on the England team. They performed well and uh, I see some writers suggested that leaving out some of the big name players, uh, Southgate of course had a largely inexperienced side there is possibly the blueprint for them moving forward. Yeah, there is a blueprint, and it's a good one. And I think that blueprint is that this team is now showing it has the makings of being a good tournament team. Because for the talent England has had in the past, and to be honest, England has gone into previous World Cups with a far far more talented side on paper. They haven't looked like a good tournament team. They've crumbled in the early stages, whereas this team held its composure, and it wasn't really until the second half of a World Cup semi-final that it started to look like it had some serious weaknesses. But looking forward, yeah, you have to be optimistic. Gareth Southgate is a is a, uh, a fine coach, um, and he seemed to have really brought a team of, as you say, young, inexperienced players together. It's a squad that it, it doesn't feel entrapped by club loyalties, as other England squads have in the past. So plenty of reason to be optimistic. What the team is lacking, I think, is a, a really good, strong central midfielder, a sort of Luka Modric, if you will. And unfortunately, the way English clubs develop their homegrown players, I think it'll be very difficult for England to get a really strong central midfielder coming through the ranks. Like France, France had three. That's why they won the World Cup. They had uh, Paul Pogba, Blaise Matuidi and... N'Golo Kante, who was possibly the second best player at the World Cup. This was really a World Cup of midfielders. I don't think there was one outstanding forward or striker in the in the tournament. And it really showed that the two best central midfields made the final at the end of the day. Croatia and Modric and Rakitic and France with their really, really strong core. So I think that's what English football has to focus on. Jordan Henderson is a pretty, pretty poor option to have as your starting central midfielder. So that could be the key if they really do want to have a chance of winning the World Cup in four years' time. And in four years' time, it's in Qatar and uh, the heat there. Challenges, obviously? Oh, of course, yeah. And I've already seen Brazil being labelled the bookies' favourites, despite the fact that France has just just won a World Cup, simply because it's the hotter, uh, more humid climate that Brazil might be more accustomed to. Uh, It shouldn't be too bad. The tournament is being pushed back to be held in uh, November, December. Uh, so the temperatures aren't, you know, 40 degrees. You're dying 10 minutes into the game kind of temperatures. I think the biggest challenges will be actually getting fans into the stadiums. I mean, it's one thing for fans to go to Russia, which for European fans is on their doorstep. Are they going to want to travel to Qatar and, and you know, ha- spend wonderful, fun nights out drinking in Qatar. Will that even be possible? I think Qatar will be buoyed by the success that Russia had because there were people saying this about Russia, although I think Qatar's on another level. I think what Qatar, as a football federation, will be optimistic about is that, you know, coming into the tournament, we were talking about all of the 
human rights issues that exist in Russia, uh, LGBT issues, which are on another level in Qatar, the fact that football hooliganism, racist chants, all of, all of this happens on the domestic stage in Russia. And we didn't really see much of that. So whenever there's a World Cup, those things sort of get pushed to the side. So I think Qatar will be optimistic that it's poor, I suppose, um, geopolitical reputation shouldn't be too much in the spotlight. I just think the biggest issue will be whether or not fans will be willing to spend thousands of dollars travelling to Qatar and spending a few weeks there. I mean, what's to do? What is there to do in Qatar? The New Zealand boxer Joseph Parker looks to take a big step towards reclaiming his status as heavyweight world champion when he returns to the ring next weekend. Having relinquished his WBO bout to British superstar Anthony Joshua in April, Parker will face another highly ranked Englishman, Dillian White, at London's O2 Arena. Victory should put the South Aucklander straight back into pole position for a world title fight, which could well be a rematch against Joshua in front of 90,000 people at Wembley Stadium. Clay Wilson caught up with Parker's promoter David Higgins, who says the WBC silver in WBO international bouts being up for grabs shows just how important the fight is. Everyone knows the fight is kind of a people's eliminator anyway. You had Dillian White um, shake Joshua up and you know he almost looked like winning. You'd Parker take Joshua the distance for the first time. So regardless of the belts, the winner of this fight will end up probably ranked number one contender and pole position for rematch for Joshua anyway. But that being said, the belts add, I guess, a little bit more credibility or, or um, stature to the occasion. The winner of this fight will get the number two WBO belt. Does that does it have any significance at all? <coughs> the way boxing works, to, to, to be ranked in the top ten and you know get world title shots, you have to pay your sanction fees. And so it's, all, it's, all, it's, it's much about relationship with the sanctioning bodies, in this case the WBO, in the WBC as it is about the ranking. But to answer your question, the, the winner will end up probably number one contender um, and and probably will have a, a massive fight at Wembley Stadium in the, in the English summer, I would think. When does that fight happen, given everything else that's going on, the Povetkin fight with Joshua and the Wilder negotiations for an April bout, when do you see that fight happening, whether it's Joshua or Wilder? Well, or... Hearn's publicly announced he's booked Wembley for an April date, and I think maybe July or September. So he booked Wembley for two dates. He's put that out there. Trying to do a deal with Deontay Wilder is not simple. So, and they called Wilder's bluff by putting Povetkin on. So if Parker were to knock out White, say, and, and, and Joshua beat Povetkin, the Americans will get difficult again. They'll make Eddie's life hell. And so it becomes a very simple fallback to chuck in the winner of Parker White at Wembley. So... It wouldn't be far-fetched to say, I think there's a 50... Provided Joseph wins, there's a strong chance that he'd be potentially fighting Joshua again at Wembley in April. In terms of the referee, there's obviously been a lot of discussion after the Joshua fight about that. So where are you at with that? How soon do you expect to have that confirmed? And and how confident are you about what's going to... Okay, so that's sitting with the British Boxing Board of Control. Um, I'd expect them to nominate officials within the coming seven days. Um... Where we tend to be optimistic, you know, they, they've popped a bit of flack over the last couple of debacles. So, um, and they they do take themselves quite seriously. So you'd like to think they wouldn't want an embarrassment again. For that reason, we'll let them do their job. They'll nominate officials. We, all we want is competent, neutral officials, really. Um, 
and so yeah like I say and, and, and if we were unha- really unhappy we have the right in the contract to object or you know discuss the choices Last time you got a neutral referee, but in the end, the language barrier and perhaps the way he adjudicated the fight ended up being difficult. So is perhaps a case of neutrality is less important and a, and a quality official yeah, is more important? I, I think we, we, you live and learn. We, we probably Competence is probably the most important thing, professionalism and competence. So there's probably a couple of British referees who are doing a far better job than the Italian. Um, so I think... When, when the names are put forward, the first thing we, we'd be looking at, Kevin Barry in particular and, and Stuart Duncan, our matchmaker, is what's their track record like? Are they competent? Have they refereed big heavyweight world title fights before? Have they displayed neutra- fairness? Um, and and that, that'll be the first thing we'd look at. And, and then if they tick that box, we'll probably say, yep, we're happy. That was David Higgins, the promoter for Kiwi boxer Joseph Parker, speaking to Clay Wilson. The former Kiwis captain Mark Graham was one of six new players inducted this week into the NRL's Hall of Fame, becoming the first New Zealander to achieve that recognition. Graham, who played 105 games for North Sydney in the 1980s, talks with Cathy Walsh about how the game has evolved since then. Oh, lots and lots of stuff. Um, you know, it was um, uh, the 300 club, you know, like that was unheard of in my day that people could play 300 games. And, and if you did play more than... Um, you know, 150, a couple hundred. You were most probably you were targeted because you were you weren't going hard enough. You know, like if you were a forward and, and you could you could um, play 300 games. Uh, in my era, it was uh, you were most probably nowhere near the ball most of the time. So it was uh, nowadays. It's obviously it's a completely different game. But um, yeah, it, um, yeah, that and um, the amount of replacements. No one got replaced um, because. Um, it was an insult here if you got replaced, so you weren't playing playing good enough. And now it's just part and parcel of the game. Um, also, uh, you know the different the different rule changes, are, like staying down. If someone bellied you, and you stayed down, your own teammates would get up you about it. So um, you know nowadays they're, they're talking about um, you know you can draw a penalty for that. So you know lots of lots of things that are foreign about the game today for me. Yeah. Do you ever sort of have a half wish that you you could still play and and just have a go at it again under those circumstances? No, I think I most probably wouldn't have made first grade because you know now, now we have things that you know we we have some marvellous players obviously playing the game and the game's a, it's a great spectacle. But things um, that are different, say like in my day, if you carried the ball twenty five times and played the ball twenty five times, you'd be playing reserve for reserve grade because you obviously don't know how to pass. And now now. That's a great stat to have nowadays. Um, so um, I would have been obviously you know, my big thing was trying to offload the ball to somebody that would have better position. So I most probably wouldn't have got a start in first grade nowadays. Well, when you when you when you think, Kathy, that you got you know, clubs are and, and and I'm pleased to see the Warriors aren't, but you, lots of clubs now are. Um, you know they can win the stats, uh, but lose the game of footy. So what's the most important thing is winning the game of footy. But they they, they win the stats week in and week out and can't win a game of footy where the Warriors, sometimes their stats aren't very impressive but they're still winning on the scoreboard and they still play football so so teams are um, have to be on guard for 80 minutes. You know, sometimes we let ourselves down as the Warriors and uh, I yell at the TV plenty, don't worry about that but I think Stephen Kirk and his coaching staff and, um, should be congratulated on the brand of football they play and that they play football. Mm. What about internationally? Where do, you, where do you see the game going 
there? I mean, growing numbers, growing numbers of countries playing? Yeah, well, look, I, obviously that's a wonderful thing with the Pacific Island Nations coming on board. Um, it, I think the, you know, the World Rugby League, um, the World of Rugby League, the international countries have got to get together and start, start making us some strategies for building the game and, and taking it to other, other countries. And um, yeah, that's been left in limbo for a very, very long time. And Australia much really has to lead the way because you know they are the powerhouse of the of the sport and. Um, you know, they've got to start um, taking big strides in the right direction. Mark Graham speaking with Kathy Walsh. And that's all we have time for this week. Remember, you can stay up to date with all of our stories via our website at radionz.co.nz forward slash sport and on Twitter at RNZ Sport. You can also contact us with your ideas and feedback at sport at radionz.co.nz. Mā Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.